Skycast episode 19, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 5, Shifting Sands. So, as always, we start out with a general overview of the episode. What did you think? I loved this episode. <laughs> I was really into this episode the whole way through. Um, pretty much every storyline was something that I wanted to see. So, <laughs> From a technical perspective, I thought that this was a really well done episode from a spectator point of view i have a really hard time with um monster genre horror disgusting things Mm -hmm. and i really hate parasite stuff um everything it was just really hard for me to watch there were some other things that came up in the episode that also disgusted me and i am not i don't have like an easy stomach but this I was really grossed out by most of this episode. It was hard to watch it again for recapping. Well, I was excited for the ships in this episode because I got my Zaven, I got my Amori, and I got Belark, of course. I I mean, like, it's true. Like, everything I wanted. From a shipping point of view, this was a great episode. Um, (laughs) We got a lot of great backstory. We got, I mean, like, the plot is, like, in full speed ahead right now. We're just kicking into speed, and this is, like, a really fun part of the season. I mean, it was action-packed. I just, like... I get it. I get it. Can't watch this stuff. <laughs> I can't watch it. For me, this episode was almost like fan fiction, so... There were parts of it that There were quite a few just parts. Like fan- it was like, writers, where are you getting your material? <laughs> um, yeah. But overall, um, I thought this was... I wouldn't call it a bottleneck. It definitely wasn't a bottleneck. No, but no. it was kind of like, really just everyone orienting themselves with what one crew is capable of um even though it doesn't have a lot of a a much bearing on like the rest of the season I would assume well yeah because by the end they retreat and so we're gonna have to have like a new tactical although hopefully hopefully they've well I guess they at least had one more missile I wonder how many more missiles they have left oh I'm guessing they have a few they I mean I doubt they have a ton but maybe maybe they do I don't know I mean what were they shooting at out there what? what? Why wouldn't they have, like, a lot of missiles? Oh, I mean, they were—they said they were using them to break up asteroids. I guess so. But, like, how many have they already used when they were, you know, on their trip? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't get the sense that they were, like, trying not to waste them. No, but I think that they also assumed that, you know, killing the, the leaders would kind of mean they wouldn't have to fight anybody. Because all of the, the major warriors, it seems, were, were here. Um, But anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so before we dive in, this is the part where I remind you guys um, to take a quick second and rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us. Please leave us comments um, as well. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, So please go and do that. And now we can jump right into the recap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Clark and Jackson are taking care of one crew members who were hurt from the energy cannon. Jackson tells Clark that they could have used her in the bunker. But when Clark asks him why Abby was so afraid, Jackson won't answer. Then Miller comes up and kisses Jackson and runs off. So we get our Max and Kiss, and I I definitely wanted to kind of check in on where you were because I felt really good about this kiss. This was like the first time that I felt from, um, my gosh, what's the guy who plays Miller? What's his name? Uh, Yeah, what is his name? The the guy who plays Miller. This is like the first time that I really felt it from his end. Um, It it just felt a lot more tender versus like bro-y. Yeah. Um, But I think you, did you think something different? I don't disagree that this is the best kiss or best romantic interaction that we have seen from them um 
I still feel like Jared Joseph is his name. Yes. Um, I still feel like he had more chemistry with Bellamy well, last who, episode. Who doesn't have more chemistry with but Bob Morley? But I want that for his romantic pairing. Um, I have still yet to see an interaction from them that I feel very confident in saying, like, this is exactly the way that I want them to execute it. This was better. This is definitely better. I think what I want to see is I, I hate coming into relationships in the middle I like to like see how it begins and we did kind of see it but I just want to see more of them together and, and see them interacting with each other and, and yeah. how they they kind of play off each yeah. other I think we like missed a lot of their like development and so like we're just kind of filling in the pieces and after like what we got with him and Brian it was just like anyway but I liked this a lot more so I'll I did that. too I liked this a lot a lot more um I wanted to make a quick note uh, because it seems that Jackson has been pretty peeved with Abby. Um, so I'm just wondering how much her addiction has affected her job. We saw later in the episode after she's taken the pills, she seems pretty functional to me. So I can't tell if this is just like a personal irritation that Jackson has with Abby or is he actually like feels like he's kind of been left on his own to do most of the Brent work. That's interesting because I didn't read this scene as Jackson being peeved at Abby at all. I read this scene as Clark prying into like what happened in one crew and Jackson not wanting to to talk about it, be it because they're not allowed to talk about it or just like he can't express the horrors that they faced. Yeah, yeah, but he says to her, "We could have used you. We could have used another doctor." In oh, I, I guess crew. I didn't I didn't view that as like something against Abby because I do think, and as we see later on the episode, I think that Abby, when she was on the pills, is very functional. I think it's, I think, you know, being off of the pills or just not being able to get the pills might have made her desperate in yeah. some situations. But I think for as long as she's taking them, she's she's been a good doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was just more of there was a lot of shit that went down um, in the bunker and they could have used another doctor. I mean, that's very true. They could have. Maybe I was just projecting because I know how much Jackson yeah. was trying to get her to get off the pills and honestly maybe it was also just about clark like they could have used clark clark is brilliant and i'm like really glad clark wasn't down there so <laughs> glad clark wasn't down I there i feel like octavia's se- sensibility would have won out in the end and i'm i would have been very worried for clark yeah if she got stuck been stuck in that bunker i mean i i can't even think about it no, i was terrifying to think, think about god, god she found maddie she found little hippie village it was all good oh man <laughs> Anyway, anyway, Clark calls to Miller, but he doesn't answer. And as she follows him, she's shocked to see that one crew army is mobilizing. Bellamy gets Miller to stop and realizes that Octavia gave one crew orders not to tell Bellamy or Clark where they're going. But Clark, being Clark, has already figured it out. They're going to Shadow Valley. Excuse me, Shallow Valley, which I found out in this last week it actually was, which is dumb, but that's fine. (laughs) That's the second thing. And I just kind of <laughs> refuse to call it what it actually is named. So they go off. Uh, they're going to Shallow Valley. And at that, Clark heads off to find Octavia. So it's clear now that Miller is Octavia's creature through and through. Um, and that's really interesting because he has always been very loyal to Bellamy. And he has like completely switched his allegiances to the other Blake. Yeah, I don't like it. No. At all. Um, Miller was being kind of a jerk. <laughs> which He's being a dick. I get it. You had a hard time in the bunker. But, like, clearly everyone forgot that when Clark speaks, you need to listen. It's true. I don't understand what anyone in this episode is thinking. It's just, it's a hot mess. And the, I, I, I don't, I mean, it was kind of funny that Clark, when she was calling for Miller, 
he wouldn't turn around, but Bellamy comes and he like immediately starts talking yeah. to Bellamy. Yeah. I also like that Bellamy was like, wait, someone's not listening to Clark. Yeah. I must intercede. My spidey senses <laughs> are tingling. I must, I must follow. I must see what's going on. I gotta shut this down right now. <laughs> it's unacceptable. Listen to my wife. Um, and we get a really nice callback here to whatever the hell you want when Miller tells Clark that she can't just do whatever the hell she wants here. Um, because, you know, as we, as we all should know, whatever the hell you want was a really nice catchphrase from like episode one. Yep. Um, a Bellamy catchphrase. A Bellamy catchphrase. A Bellamy original. Yeah. <laughs> An OG Bellamy quote. And so it's like, it's a nice callback to like have Miller now saying that to them when Bellamy was the one who like made it up. Yeah. You're using my own words against me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, also, this is just, this whole episode is top Clark from yeah. like beginning to end. This is the Clark we know and love. Yeah. Clark and, at her best. And it's it's so nice to see her interacting. You know, there's a lot of new characters on the show, but now that she's back with a lot of the original hundred um, delinquents, mm-hmm. like it's really nice to see her in her true form. Yeah. I mean, she's, again, she's so smart. She's so capable. She's so intuitive at figuring out situations. Yeah. I just, that's the perfect word for her. She's very intuitive. I love her so much. I know. It's like disgusting. She's how amazing. Much I love her. Clark walks in on Octavia meeting with her top lieutenants. Clark cuts in and Cooper's angry that Miller told Clark anything, but Miller thinks they should listen to what Clark has to say. Octavia is not amused. <laughs> um, so can I just say, it is ridiculous that they haven't consulted Clark about getting to the valley. I mean, Clark has lived outside for six years. She's made this trip quite a few times at this point. It, it, it just It just goes to show that Octavia is not willing to listen to her advisors, even when they are very clearly more informed than you are. Yeah. I mean, she she is just actually believing her own myth at this point, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is a really dangerous position to be in as a leader. And we see the consequences of this play out later on. We know that, that this cannot lead to something good. Um, I also thought it was interesting that... Octavia is still in her, like, full-blown Caesar regalia. She's got this, like, you know, Roman robe <laughs> on. But it's with her assassin hood from last season. It's back. Um, <laughs> so we know that she means business. Serious Octavia. Because she's wearing both of her accoutrements. <laughs> like a general and an assassin. Makes its triumphant return. God. She's just so melodramatic sometimes. Uh, all the time. She's Always, always been melodramatic oh god we can get into that later oh gosh <laughs> this episode was uh, quite a doozy for octavia this is not a good octavia episode yeah so clark tells them they can't take the sea route even though it's technically passable but octavia cuts her off passable is good enough for her and with that she turns to leave but bellamy stops her and the second bellamy gets in octavia's way octavia's people all turn their guns on bellamy after a moment of challenge octavia tells them to stand down and bellamy asks her to hear them out um so clearly no one gets to question bladrena not even her brother not even her brother and it wasn't even like i I'm, I just, like, that whole moment, it was so chilling. It was. It was, like, everything, that one moment encompassed everything that has changed in the last six years. Exactly. And it wasn't even that, I mean, like, he wasn't really challenging her. No. He didn't mean it in a threatening way, and they took it that way. That was kind of, like, the scariest thing to me is how um, they... Benign. Well, the- but also, like, how quickly things escalate. Mm-hmm. You know, they just... 
even the smallest things can turn into or do turn into a really have a really big reaction which is just also it's not a good mentality to have like you it's fine when you're an insular isolated society you are dealing with like a lot of outside forces now like you're going to be half to dealing with people who don't like you <laughs> but like you can't you know you need to have levels to, to be nuanced to be able to deal with everything you can't just have everything be so black and white it was really scary i mean i'm still still in the the shock that she doesn't listen to anybody she doesn't no. even listen to indra no um which is scary enough as it is but like i i i think that's kind of the mark of what a poor leader she's become a tyrant really tyrant who, who doesn't exactly yeah i mean what it is We've said that before, and everyone kind of knows that that's where it's going this season, based on the the six Emperor Tyrannus episode that's coming up. Yeah. Um, but this makes it very clear. Yeah, what I she mean, is. like she just cuts Clark off. She's not even interested in letting her finish her sentence. Yeah. <sighs> also, <laughs> yeah, jumping in, hate her new makeup, despise her new makeup. I really actually liked the like red forehead look, and I kind of wish that that was her everyday look. But this like heavy red eyeshadow is awful yes but it's not as awful as her hair <laughs> nothing is as awful as her hair it looks like she's got those little parasites hanging from her head like little white girl dreads oh god it's also like unevenly cut and it just looks like dirty and gross and like i just like what is what happened to you <laughs> it's like your insides are now your outsides <laughs> you look disgusting <laughs> Uh, Clark says that no one wants to get to the valley more than her. It's her home, but it's too risky. Even though they chose the shortest route, the dry seabed is plagued by constant sandstorms. Not only that, but Prime Fire crystallized some of the sand, so the sandstorm whips around shards of glass as well. Octavia's people start debating, but Octavia cuts them off. They're doing this. If this is the last survivable valley on Earth, then it should be theirs. Of course, Belly reminds her, Dioza thinks the same thing, which Octavia responds we fight then Mm -hmm. so it's clear at this point that octavia is threatened by clark's natural authority and is trying to ensure that her control over one crew remains absolute like it was in the bunkle bunkle bunker um and and we all know how this is going to work out i mean this is just a disaster waiting to happen she's not as we've been saying she's not taking an advice from anyone who is clearly an expert and thinks she isn't and she's worried and deeply concerned about the way that clark's natural leadership abilities get people to gravitate to them which let's be real she should be worried because clark is extremely logical and octavia is not no not to be and, fair and octavia's clark, people are not logical right now clark either is very charismatic and very good at winning people i mean just like instantly getting people to follow her i mean it takes one second i would never say clark is charismatic i think bellamy's charismatic i think it's like two different things with clark i see her more she's just so smart and so rational that when she speaks it just like everything makes total yeah. sense and you follow her but not because like that you don't follow her because you love her people follow bellamy because they love bellamy but clark is just like you're clearly the smartest one in the room so you're the one i'm gonna follow yeah that's a really good point speaking of bellamy i like this version of him where you know he is able to recognize what his enemies want but he doesn't villainize them for it this mm-hmm. is like definitely bellamy 2.0 and i like it yeah it's really this I, is Bellamy 2.0 at its best because um, yes. there I, there are some parts of Bellamy 2.0 that I don't like. Yeah, but this was really good. Yeah, um, and I am also just wondering in this scene, like, what happened to make Cooper so blindly loyal to Octavia? Like, I need more information about this relationship because Cooper is obnoxious and I hate her. 
Yeah. Um, and I just like don't understand where this is coming from and I want to know. I very much think this is going to be addressed in the dark year. The yeah. episode that I think it's episode 11 this season, which we know obviously will um, recount in some way, shape or form what happened during the dark year in the bunker. And I think, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but I was really curious about how Octavia went from being feared to being loved. Mm-hmm. Um, we see at the end of Red Queen that, you know, she's definitely kind of come into her new role as leader but people aren't they don't love her they're scared of her like she's very powerful in her own way but she wasn't someone that you like would gravitate toward um it wasn't somebody that you would like risk your life for razor wins for and now here clearly her people i want to use the word love but it's like this twisted worship yeah that's a great great way to put it they worship her um and i do feel like that episode the dark year is going to kind of show us that transition between fear to worship yeah i i think you're right and it's also interesting because like it's this idea of like a religious deity where gaia comes into play again and we see the influence that gaia has had on her and we'll talk about that a little bit more but there is this like weird i mean it's a cult yeah this is exactly what happens when you're in a cult yeah and we're gonna leave it there Indra tells Bellamy that his sister needs him, and she's glad he's here. Then she notes that there are packs with rations by the door. After she leaves, Bellamy asks Clark if he thinks Octavia's people were really going to kill him for getting in her way. Clark isn't sure and asks what they should do next. Bellamy says that he has to go on the quote-unquote six-day hike through Sandstorm Country with the Gladiator cults because he has to help Raven and Murphy. And of course, Clark decides to go with him. Road trip! Road trip! <laughs> Love a good Clark road trip! <laughs> It's just like, of course they're not splitting up No. Again. Clark is not going to lose him again at no, this point. No, she's never letting him out of no. her sight again. <laughs> like, oh, you need to go on a trip? I'm going to come with you. Obviously. Also, like, what else would she do? Nothing. Uh, it's also really interesting. This this whole scene here, Bellamy is taking the lead. Um, whereas it's very, it's very always been kind of Clark taking the lead and Bellamy, like, backing her up. But now she's, like, asking him, like, what do we do? And he's like, well, I'm going here. And she's like, okay, well, I'll come with you. Like, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, it's just it, kind of, it, it shows the transition between the two of them. It does. It feels like they're on really equal footing here. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. It's like the next evolution in their relationship, which was already so equal and such a working partnership. But again, it was like a little, they had different roles to play. And those roles are evening out a little bit now. And I think, you know, Clark hasn't really been a quote unquote leader for a long time. She's been a mother, which is, you know, obviously like a, a, a figurehead of some sort, but she hasn't been a leader whereas Bellamy has so I think he's more comfortable with that right now than she is I think she will eventually and even in this episode kind of grow back into that role but for right now she's still kind of you know figuring out her own place as well yeah I agree it's also worth noting that Indra is really not on board with Octavia's leadership style (laughs) anymore and she is clearly hoping um, that Bellamy can knock some sense into her or do something because I think she's like at her rope's end here yeah she's done yeah she's very done She's like winking at them. <laughs> hey, there's some packs by the door with rations. Wink, 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 wink. nudge, nudge. <laughs> I'm so glad you're back, Bellamy. Subtext, please do something about Octavia. <laughs> please, for the love of God, help me. <laughs> Blink once if you need help. <laughs> <laughs> Blink once for yes. With the help of the Allegis drones, Dioza's people watch one crew start their march. Zeke thinks they're crazy, but Dioza says they're not crazy, they're fanatical, and fanatics make good soldiers. So I was really intrigued by the way she phrases this here, because, I mean, she, as far as we know, was supposedly part of this terrorist organization, and yet 
and we we usually view two terrorists as like fanatics in, right. in some way, and yet yeah. she views fanaticism as something that she can almost manipulate or something that she has seen from people around her, but not something that she herself is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, I'm again, I'm so intrigued by her backstory and I want to know why was she part of this terrorist organization if she wasn't a fanatic? Like what, what does she think she is? Because I don't think she was fanatical. She doesn't seem the fanatic type. Not at all. Not I mean, she's, all. she's very practical and very like cool headed She's a soldier. Like, right. that's what she feels like. I mean, like, it's clear so. from this text context that she was not the fanatic herself, but she was in a group that was fanatical. Yeah. So, so I, why? So why <laughs> is the question. And we're going to find out eventually. I hope so. <laughs> McCreary says to let them come. And Dioza's is like, you really want to wage war on the one place left on the planet that can sustain life? Dioza has a better idea. They need to get the missile system back online, and if Zeke can't get Raven to tell him, he should use McCreary, who at least is good for something. McCreary notes that that wasn't all he was good for back on the rock. No, 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 no. If you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know what I mean. But Dioza tells him not to flatter himself because that was tortured too. Boom. <laughs> but I'm bum. So now we know why McCreary thinks of himself as so special. (laughs) Um, I don't know why Dioza still thinks he's so useful, though. I mean, like, she clearly didn't think it was that great. I mean, like, all joking aside, I don't feel like... I don't feel like this is still a thing that's that's going. I feel like there's there's definitely, like... They're done. There's some reason that McCreary is useful. And maybe it really is just that he has the loyalty of the... the, They're not even soldiers. They're just, like prisoners he has the loyalty of the prisoners and she doesn't for whatever reason um so i i I guess that could just be it like we could be making more of this than you know we are i'm not ready to like let that go until like i have confirmation there's nothing else left oh like until episode 13 i'm gonna continue to ask why are you still here (laughs) we don't know enough about what their relationships um were all like on the on the legia ship when they were um in the mining colony so I think that if we could find out a little bit more about that, we would have a lot more context as to why they are now the way they are. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure we'll find that stuff out. Yes. I, mean, I hope I'm so. very confident. There's like, they're dropping so many hints yeah. that they want us to pick up that I'm very, very sure they'll they'll use them later. And I also get a little bit of a hint here that when Diozo was sleeping with McCreary, it was like she hated herself yeah. and just wanted comfort. And I... I mean, again, that just kind of leads me to why she's there in the first place and what happened I and what, I mean, I, I like keep repeating this, but I'm just, well, I can't just get over it. She's such a sympathetic character. She's so fascinating. Um, <sighs> it's, it's really remarkable, the writing that they've done for her. She's so likable that it's irritating because like, <laughs> I am, I mean, like between Dioza and Octavia, I'm very much with team Dioza. Yeah. I'm not with team murderers and thieves, but I'm team Dioza. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Dioza steps outside to breathe the fresh air, and then death metal shatters the silence. In the village, the prisoners are just screwing around, and Dioza's furious. She reminds them that they're not safe. An army willing to fight to the death is marching for this place. She said she'd get them home, and even though it's not the home they expected, they're here and they're free. Tomorrow, they start their training. This reminded me so much of Clark in episode one when all the ground, the delinquents got to the ground and were like screwing around and playing yeah. their music, and Clark was like, hey, we have no food. We have no water. We have to get to the mountain. I mean, Dioza equals Clark. Yeah. They are the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice emphasis, too, on the word free. Just because 
I, I, I wonder when they left Earth if they ever thought that they would get back someday. I don't know what the terms of their sentence was, but I feel it's very likely it was a lifetime sentence to this mining colony. Yeah. Um, and so having them kind of back to Earth, even though it's not, you know, the Earth they expected, and to be free back on Earth must be a huge deal for them. Yeah, I agree. I think so, too. It's also interesting um, that Dioza uses words like miracle and desecration to describe this valley. I mean, there's so much reverence in her tone. These are, these are, these words have, like, a lot of religious overtone to them. And it's, again, it just reminds me how much the show is kind of obsessed with religion. And it just kind of, like, trickles into these like very layman people that this is not a religious scene at all but they still have these sort of like overtones and it's just interesting to me it is also interesting her using that those two words um specifically miracle and desecration i feel like that is like the most um fanatical she's ever been like those are the kinds of words that i feel a cult would use or like a terrorist organization right um right so it it kind of like it's a really interesting moment that it happens like right after we hear about you know after they she calls them fanatical Mm -hmm. and we learn about that she was part of a terrorist organization it's like she's really strange words to use here she's i mean she seems like a very spiritual person we see her coming off of this ship um and just like taking in the beauty of this world and just being so glad that she's here until of course the death metal shatters it and we see her meditating later later yeah Uh, so I kind of wonder if maybe that has played a role um, in her joining the terrorist group and I would be I would be willing to bet that she does have some sort of like spirituality that she Mm -hmm. ascribes to not maybe like a dogmatic religion no I don't think so but like definitely some sort of like spirituality I agree um, do we think that Dioza still feels like she has an obligation to these men? I feel like she's fulfilled her promise to return them to the earth. So I'm just, I'm a little bit confused why she still feels responsible to them. I mean, is it just because she's, she has this like deeply patriotic kind of loyalty, like ingrained in her bones, especially like what happened, what we don't know exactly what happened, but we're assuming something happened with the, her men, mm-hmm. um, or her unit. And I'm just, I'm really confused why she still feels so beholden to them. I think Dioza is the kind of person who is very, very loyal to the people that she considers hers. Um, and, and, and the ways that that can change, I think I think she can, you know, switch her loyalties to people that she considers hers. Like, I think that is fluid within that. Um, but I think she kind of considers these people her responsibility, and therefore she has to lead them to, you know, the promised land, such and such. Um but I do feel like there will come a point, maybe we see at the end of this episode, that she's willing to find new people to take care of. I agree. I think I think they're just holding her back. I mean, these people seem like the worst. They're murderers. Not that she's not a murderer because she's a terrorist and was like the most wanted person on the planet when she you know, was arrested. But I just, I feel like there's more to the story there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, just by the way, stop desecrating my hippie village. Yeah. I am with you, Dioza. This was Clark's home. And this it is was bullshit. Per- and it was perfect. <laughs> leave leave it alone. It was pristine. They brought like weights. They, they were lifting weights in the village. Like what is wrong with you? <laughs> They're murderers. In Clark's old house, Abby is looking at Clark's drawings, particularly the one with Maddie. 
your granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? Uh, Kane notes that Clark wasn't alone. When Dioza comes in, she tells Abby she can stay here as long as she's useful, and Vincent will be Abby's first patient. Vincent is a mild-mannered-looking giant, but Kane is confused about why he's wearing a collar. Dioza says that some of them still have a hard time controlling their more primal urges. Vincent tells them that he's usually a pleasant person, but if the demon comes out, they're to activate the shock collar. I'm just going to put it out here now that I hate serial killers. <laughs> I do not enjoy talking about them or watching them or anything to do with them. And while everyone else thought this was like mildly humorous, I was ve- I can see the technical outline of why this is funny or amusing, but it is not amusing to me. <laughs> I mean, for me, I love to hate serial killers. Serial killers and like that that kind of persona is really the only thing that I ever find scary. Yeah. I'm like I don't find paranormal stuff scary. I don't find like take McCreary for instance. I feel like Vincent is so much more terrifying to me than McCreary is. Um just that like really really calm vibe with what's clearly danger lurking underneath the surface um is is terrifying to me. I mean, he's basically Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And I did see this hilarious gif online about like Abby and Kane trying to figure out what the deal was with Vincent and they're like, "Oh, you're a cannibal." Oh my gosh, I thought you were something scary. Like, <laughs> nothing new here. Yeah, nothing to see. <laughs> nothing to see. He does, you know, he does have that like sociopath vibe though where he is so detached and cool and very calm and eerie and it's so creepy. Oh my god, it was I mean, so creepy. What's really interesting to me here, though, is it doesn't seem like Vincent has control over himself. Like, as um, Diosa puts it, he doesn't, or he has a hard time controlling his more primal urges. Um, because it, he, he doesn't really seem like he wants to be bad, but sometimes the bad just, like, comes out and he can't help it. Maybe. I don't know if that's just, like, a guise for him to use for people to, like, not kill him right out I don't know I mean conversely just thinking about I I compared him to Hannibal Lecter yeah but Hannibal Lecter had complete control over himself every single move that he made was like thought out and planned and and he executed it perfectly to be clear I have never seen nor will I ever watch Silence of the Lambs Okay. Well, I have. <laughs> I have. And Vincent is not like that. From what I've seen in the scene, and we haven't seen a lot of him, I'm not sure how much we'll see of him, but Vincent is is different. Mm-hmm. It's like he like is almost like an animal who just can't control himself. Interesting. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on him yeah. for sure. I hope you come back, Vincent. I know Britt doesn't. I do not. <laughs> I would like you to be done. Abby asks Dioza for her medical supplies, but Dioza tells her that to, di- to diagnose Vincent first, and then they can talk about Abby's pills. Kane realizes they're prisoners, but Dioza prefers to call it protective custody. Kane says that if any harm comes to Murphy and Raven, they won't help her, but Dioza was unaware that Kane had any useful talents for her. Kane says he has intel on Octavia, but Dioza won't hear it. She doesn't trust traitors. Also, Vincent, put down the scalpel. <laughs> <laughs> she just, she notices everything. Yeah. She noticed Abby's addiction. She notices Vincent in the background picking up the scalpel. <laughs> she misses nothing. She is a woman to be feared. Yeah. Um, and she's clearly, clearly underestimating Octavia here because we know by the end of the episode that Octavia's people are willing to do anything for her. Yeah. And I don't think Dioza fully understands the level of devotion 
that and they have. fanaticism. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, just, I just want to like kind of cut in here. I find Vincent hilarious. <laughs> and I'm so here for this. Again, <laughs> again, I, I can see why people find him hilarious. <laughs> I know that that is the intention and I feel that they have executed it clearly. This is just not my sense of humor. Put the scalpel down. <laughs> I, Put I it down. I cannot find this funny. I find nothing about sociopaths funny. Okay. Um, is Kane willing to let Octavia die now for the good of his people? Yes. Has he kind of reached that point? I, Do think you, he, I think he's reached that point. Do you think that he now wants her to die? Or what, does he have any sort of idea, idea that maybe she can be saved still? I think that's debatable. I think Kane always, the as the idealist, probably always has hope mm-hmm. for people. Um but I don't think that he's willing to bet on it at this point. Yeah. And I think for the like safe sake of one crew and the people that he knows personally and loves, I think that if Octavia were a casualty, that would be unfortunate, but not the end of the world. Yeah. And I don't think that he wants her to die, but if she had to die, he'd be willing to live with that. I don't think that he thinks she's a lost cause because we did see him getting to her um, in their talk in, in Red Queen. Yeah. Um, or it wasn't Red Queen. I guess it was last episode. My goodness. It was episode five. We are, we are <laughs> we're so many episodes along. in now. Um, but I also think he realizes that there's no way that Octavia and Dioza will fit together. Mm-mm. So if he's siding with Dioza, Octavia has to die. Because, you know, bringing people over from one crew, if Octavia were there, I think they would just in many ways revert back into old ways. And he wants a new way, as Kane always does. Um, and now he's actually found a logical path right. to reach that new I mean, way. I think he's looking at Dioza like, thank God. Yeah. Someone rational. Somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he's like, all right, get rid of your prisoners. I'll get rid of Octavia. <laughs> Swish you guys together. Voila. <laughs> I do wonder what he wants to do with the prisoners. I mean, because you can't leave them alive. Just like Dioza yeah, had mentioned that's... about one crew, like they're going to come after you. It's a good question. I'm not sure if Kane has gotten that far yet. No. I mean, I haven't really gotten that far yet. I don't know what's going to happen. In the desert, one crew is eating around a campfire. Octavia says, We honor those who die so we might live. All of me for all of us. They each take a bite of the food and pass it around. And holy shit, they're eating a person. (laughs) It was so clear. Me and you both, like, at the same time. At the same time, paused the episode and turned to look at each other and were like, Oh my God. Cannibalism. (laughs) They're eating a person so guys we have to talk about cannibalism yeah we do because this episode has all but like verbally confirmed cannibalism the like all of me for all of us and this um ritualistic passing around of what is very clearly a person (laughs) a piece of a A piece of a person and it's like there's so much subtext happening in this episode I mean, I can just see the writers, like, twisting their mustaches, being like, all of me for all of us. It's so cryptic, but it needs a body. Like, like it's not subtle. I mean, what I think, and I'm, I, like, feel pretty comfortable saying this is probably right. During the dark year, I think there was a problem with their food. They had to, like, figure out a way to survive. And so Octavia basically turned cannibalism into a religion she you know they have this like all of me for all of us we honor those who die so we might live i think they're like eating people as a way to honor the dead and like let their spirits ascend to the like whatever plane the spirits go to and in eating them it ensures their own survival Mm -hmm. so their sacrifice was worth something yeah it's a nice sentiment 
and you're still eating people. I mean, that's that's <laughs> the thing is it, it's one thing if you have to do this to survive. And I guess at this point, they don't really have any other food. So I guess they still no, have to well, do this. Well, that's a question we'll get to later in this episode is, is this still necessary or has this now become so much of a ceremonial part of their life that it's just routine? I mean, I do think it's both. That's definitely ceremonial. But like they were saying, their their farm wasn't going to be able to produce food for like any much longer. So I think they've been supplementing their diet with this. Yeah. Um, horrifying. Like who? I mean, they're eating people. They're eating people. They're in eating like a people. ceremony. They're like each passing around a hunk of I a mean, person. And there's so much Christian overtones here with like the body of Christ mm-hmm. and like the when you take communion and like all of this stuff. I mean, it's just like hitting us over the head and the way that they like you know each pass it around and it's just there's a lot of symbolism going on here guys and you know when i said octavia turned this into a religion what i really meant was gaia yes. turned this into i was a gonna religion. correct you there yeah. and i was like we'll get to that later gaia definitely was- has her handprints all over this oh yeah this has got and i i can like actually visualize like the way in which octavia is like we're gonna have to eat the people and gaia was like I know how to make this <laughs> swirl my mustache. I know how to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I I know there was a scene when um, Jared Joseph and uh, Jessica Harmon both said they almost threw up. Yeah. I know it was a scene that they were in with Marie. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the first scene where either she is like eating a person while they're all watching, a la Game of Thrones with yeah. the heart, um, or she's forcing them all to like take a bite of this person as like... You know, we're all we're one all crew. We're all going to be unified in our cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something to keep an eye on this season, but I'm convinced. It would take basically them saying, we have never eaten a person in our life. Even then, I'd be like, yeah, liar. Sure. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, more later, I'm sure. Cannibalism. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So Clark is watching them and says, it's kind of beautiful. No. <laughs> now that we know what it is, it's so bad. <laughs> they lost so many people and didn't know if they'd ever get out, but they're still strong and still unified. Terrifying, but impressive. Bellamy notes that it's also impressive that Clark survived, survived alone. Clark seems lost for a moment and then tells him she wasn't alone. She had Maddie. And at that, she gets up to leave while also giving Bellamy the rest of her Soylent green. There's so much Bellark in this episode. I mean, we were very well fed. Cannibalism pun intended, guys. <laughs> we ate Bellark all episode. Bellark is us and we are Bellark. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was actually a lot more of just Bellamy Clark scenes in this episode than I, like way more than I expected. Oh my God, yeah. Oh, it was an overwhelming amount. Yeah. And it was so over the top how heavy there was so much Bartlark in this episode that I'm now worried that we're not going to get anything else for I know. the rest of the season. Me too. <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling like they were spoiling us because there's going to be like another dry season. It was like we were uh, eating up for hibernation. Right. And <laughs> we're just like storing up for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to note, I found the scene where Clark, um, or Bellamy asks her how she survived and, and Clark is like, you know, I wasn't alone. I had Maddie. It was a really hard to read scene for me the look on Clark's face I spent a long time trying to decipher it and I think there's a lot that's going on there I mean first and foremost I think she's worried about Maddie but I think even more so than that I don't know 
if Clark can figure out how to explain to Bellamy how important the idea of him was to her and her survival, especially before she found Maddie, but even after that, um, you know, her talking to him every day and the, the hope that she would someday see him again and see all of them, but like really see Bellamy, um, I think is what kept her alive. And, and she doesn't really know how to discuss this with this new Bellamy who seems so much more, I don't want to say cold, but Wiser. Definitely, res- well, yes, wiser, but like more reserved and more kind of held back. He's he's not as open as he used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clark has never been the open one. She's always, you know, been able to rely on Bellamy to be the yeah. emotional one. And now she has just so many emotions that she doesn't know how to deal with them. And, and Bellamy, it she's he's not the same Bellamy that she's used to. So she doesn't know how to express those emotions to him. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's so much to talk about on both sides and it's just too overwhelming to even begin I mean how do you even begin to talk about what they each of them went through mm-hmm. um and you're right I think they're refamiliarizing themselves with each other and in some ways some things will never change between them yeah but they have each changed themselves yeah um and it's like getting to know someone for again for the first time who is not a stranger but who is strange um and it it is really interesting um, to watch them navigate this new territory. Yeah, and I love every second of it. Yeah, it's really <laughs> great. Because, again, it, it would have been really hard to go back. I mean, I'm just, I'm, like, enjoying this as, like, an almost like a new ship. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, they're older and wiser. And, like you said, they're they're strange, but they're not strangers. And in many ways, they've fallen back into these very familiar roles which I love, but the roles feel even more fulfilled somehow because they're now both playing both roles instead yeah. of each of them taking one role. Yeah. Um, so I'm very much here for this. Yes, this is great. I have no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Indra tells Octavia that her brother loves her, but Octavia says that love is weakness. Where have we heard that before? (laughs) Indra knows Gaia's nonsense teachings when she hears it, but Octavia protests. It's not nonsense. Love no one and no one can hurt you. Indra says that she loves her. Does that make her weak? But Octavia, taken aback, says that she would never say that to Indra. I loved this so much. I can barely put into words how much I loved this. I mean, can you just imagine how worried Indra must be to actually say the words I love you out loud to Octavia I mean she's not somebody who just talks about her feelings Mm -hmm. lightly she doesn't bandy around I mean like it must have taken such concern and like deep deep love for her to say these words to Octavia knowing at what an emotional state that Octavia is in and that she's barely able to receive them I mean this is just this was so impactful. This was like a punch in my stomach. Yeah, I mean, their relationship has always been so compelling to watch. I mean, and just and just looking at her saying these words to Octavia and then thinking back to where they started with Octavia getting her ass kicked by one of Tree Crew and Indra watching, kind of like proud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and seeing like how far they've come together, it it's just been a really amazing journey. And I, I think in many ways, Indra created this monster in front of her and also will be the one to save her. Yeah. Um, with her love. (laughs) I mean, that's, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of the point of the show is that love will save you. Um, love is not weakness. Love is not weakness. (laughs) And she did create Octavia. Like she created Gaia. I think she's disappointed and scared of both of the children that she's made. 
Um, and it's just really sad that to see where they've ended up. I think Indra is mad at herself and worried for them and scared of them. I guess I wouldn't use the phrase disappointed exactly. I think. Oh, I think she's disappointed in Gaia. I think she is concerned with the direction her children have taken. Um, I think she would have preferred them not take in this direction. I don't know if I would use the word disappointed because I also think she's very proud of what Octavia and Gaia have accomplished. I don't think those two sentiments are mutually exclusive. I think you can be proud of the strengths and skills that your children can have or anybody that you love while recognizing their flaws and the the bad decisions that they've made. Yeah. Um, I think it's both. Okay. Um, I'm really glad to have this confirmation here that, you know, quote unquote, love is weakness is actually a flame keeper teaching because, you know, we saw Lexa kind of prescribing to this in the beginning before she met Clark and Clark rocked her world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great <laughs> um, but, but Lexa, we very clearly saw, learned it from her flame keeper whose name I cannot remember. Um, Can't either. But I know his face. <laughs> He's bald. <laughs> He's bald. Um, and so, and we, I think we kind of got some um, theorizing to that point when she says love is weakness in the trailer. We saw her say that. I think a lot of us were like, is that like something the Flamekeepers say? And I like that they added that in here just because it makes a lot of sense why Flamekeepers would teach that to um, the the Hedas. Right. Um, the people who have to like murder. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I have to wonder, why did Gaia have to teach this to Octavia? Interesting. I, guys, I think it's Nyla. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the way Octavia said this, it didn't seem like a, a throwaway lesson that Gaia taught her that, you know, didn't have any, um, that wasn't grounded in something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was about her love for Ilian, or not Ilian, uh, her love Lincoln. for Lincoln, because I think that that wasn't really a, well, I think for one, she's kind of come to terms with his death and, and is trying to move on, but it also isn't a love that directly affects Octavia's leadership in the bunker. That's not, he's not getting in her way in any way, shape or form. Um, so I feel like it had to be a love that was interfering with her ability to lead, um, or at least the way that Gaia wanted her to lead. Um, I, I really, really do think it was Nyla. I, think I, that, I hope you're right. I think that Octavia and Nyla were getting too close. And as we saw in episode two, Nyla really softens Octavia. Um, and I love that. I love that she brings that out in Octavia. It's like the one Octavia that I actually like. Um, but I, I, I think that Nyla was, was, was in Gaia's view, um, making Octavia less... A, a weaker leader I was gonna say weak yeah so so Gaia kind of like imparts this lesson of like you can't love love is weakness and, and does what she needs to do to kind of I don't know if they were together or just it was getting closer starting. yeah um, yeah and that would also make sense as to Nyla's absence for the last yes. couple of episodes we saw Jason Rothenberg confirm Nyla's alive and I wasn't like super worried, worried but I was a little I mean like I was just a tiny bit worried um, I wasn't worried at all I, I thought that would be really dumb for them to make that there's that mistake no again way. um but I'm glad that she's alive and it's all good yeah I just think that 
from a mechanical point of view like the way that Nyla soft as you said softens Octavia and what we needed to see Octavia do in these past couple of episodes Mm -hmm. she would not have been able to do it with Nyla around I don't think so so I'm gonna be paying special attention we know that Nyla's in episode six Jason confirmed that so I will be watching their relationship like a hawk. <laughs> I am very curious. I was stand. worried that you weren't going to pay attention to Nyla before, but now I feel so much better. Um, so yeah, more on that later. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly Miller comes running back, carrying a screaming scout, Obika. Miller doesn't know what's wrong with him. And when Clark goes to help, Cooper stops her. Clark appeals to Octavia, who lets Clark pass and check the scout and notices there's something moving inside him. <laughs> First off. I can't believe Cooper wouldn't let the only doctor they have with them examine this guy. Who the hell died and put Cooper in charge? Nobody did. <laughs> She's not in charge. Like, just back the F up. I cannot stand her. She's driving me crazy. Yeah, Cooper's the worst right now. Um, And everything that she does, I can't stand her. God, I knew there was going to be a parasite in this episode. Like, we knew this was coming. It's been in all of the trailers. And who would have known that the parasite was Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite joke you've ever told. Um, it was so gross and disgusting, guys. And I hated every minute of this. I hated it. And I couldn't close my eyes because I had to podcast. I told you you could close your eyes. I would do it for you. I, I would take on that burden for you. I just, it was so gross. I bear it so you don't have to. <laughs> just keep on coming. Keep on coming. They put Obika on the table inside the tent. Miller says that nothing happened. They stopped to et- they, they stopped to etch their rations. <laughs> they stopped to eat their rations together and then separated again. And the next thing Miller knew, Obika was screaming. Clark asks to see the rations, and Cooper tells her, "There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to see with the rations. <laughs> you didn't see anything." <laughs> Clark says, "If there were issues with the rations, Miller would have it too. They share everything." Um. So first, do we think that? all of the rations are people or just the ceremonial ones we kind I mean, of talked like about this a little, this a little bit earlier i am inclined to think that it's well I, I would have said just ceremonial but cooper was acting very suspicious well i kind of wondered um when she said rations i think that most of the rations, like i feel like clark would notice if she were eating people like <laughs> i, I feel like there would be like a certain like what is this <laughs> this is a very interesting food it just tastes <laughs> like people um so I don't think that all of the rations are people, but I do think every single one of them like eats a bite every night. And so when him and Obika met to like eat together, I think it was like we're gonna do like our ceremony too Maybe. with our with our little bite of a person that we have. God. Um, and so they didn't want Clark to examine that if there was any leftover. <laughs> oh God, so <laughs> gross. I do think it was interesting that Miller and Obika share everything. I'm wondering if this is going to play out later as like a factor for maybe like why Miller defects at some point just because like he seems really close with Obika and Octavia like treats him pretty carelessly in this episode. I don't know. Food for thought. Yeah, I mean, for me, when she says they share everything, I kind of took it more to mean that um, that one crew shares everything. And I was more interested in the way that she phrased it as they share everything and not we share everything Hmm. because she's kind of like putting herself above them like they're sharing their rations but i get special things interesting Um, we do see this play out later on yeah we do i don't know i think maybe either way maybe a bit of both i mean he he very clearly wasn't okay with her just like wanting to execute him yeah i do i do hope at some point miller defects and i'm just wondering if like this is like a mechanism for him to do that i could see i mean i guess it depends on 
where we go later in the season if Dioza really does kind of take some of one crew, like the the less crazy ones. Mm. I could see Miller eventually going in that direction. Um, but I also do think Miller is a very loyal person. Yeah. Um, so it would have to be a major thing to challenge his loyalty to Octavia at this point because it's clearly very strong. Yeah. I agree. Um, but I guess, again, we'll, we'll see. We'll find out. Bellamy sees a hole in Obika's leg, and Clark realizes the parasite must have come from the sand. It came from below. They have to retreat. Also, this episode was like tremors so hard. Oh my god, it was crazy tremors. <laughs> I kept thinking like a giant worm was going to pop out Me of the too. sand. It was like, aliens needs tremors. Yeah. The hundred. <laughs> uh, so they have to retreat, but Octavia says no, and to Indra's completely not surprise, surprise, Cooper agrees with Bledrina. Octavia says they march at first light, and if Obika isn't better by then, she'll end his pain herself. I don't know if it's clear to you at this point, but Indra is my MVP in this episode. Oh, yeah. I love her. I love how done she is with Cooper. Indra is me. Every single thing she says is so on point and so wise and just perfect. I mean, Indra has always been wise and and someone that you want to listen to, Um, but you know, seeing her juxtaposed with like Octavia and the rest of one C- Cooper, Cooper, the fanatic. Yeah. Um, Indra's just like, what the hell did yeah. I get myself into? I mean, like Cooper is drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And Indra- oh, Cooper has drunk the Kool-Aid. And Indra is just like, I'm going to stand over here to the side. <laughs> like, No, thank you. I don't need any refreshments. <laughs> oh God. How many times do you think that Clark and Bellamy can exchange worried looks to each other in a single episode? Because from this episode, it seems like the limit does not exist. Like the side eyeing in this episode was one of my favorite things of all there's time. like 10 times that they exchanged this look together it's just they they have always been a unit but we see them here even more unit than ever because they are basically surrounded by a bunch of crazy people right right <laughs> it's just the two of them and indra yeah <laughs> Uh, it's interesting too to me that there's a lot about this world that Clark doesn't know and you know she's lived outside for six years and yet she had no idea about these parasites yeah um so it's like what else is lurking out there oh yeah for sure I'm sure there's a bunch of monsters we don't know about yet especially in this like desert wasteland exactly I mean who god I mean there's just here there be monsters we're off (laughs) the edge of the map um I also I'm really curious Cooper I mean we see that she's definitely a sycophant is this why Octavia keeps her around? Because Octavia likes to like be reinforced that her ideas are are good ideas? Because Indra is not the kind of person to reinforce Octavia. No. Indra's like, here are all the issues with what you're saying. And then Octavia ignores her. Yeah, I mean, Indra <laughs> speaks to power. Yeah. Um, and Cooper clearly is blindly following and has no original thoughts of her own. Um, I don't know why Octavia keeps her around. I don't feel like Octavia is the kind of person that needs this kind of, like, reinforcement Mm -hmm. I just Octavia seems so secure in her own beliefs and in herself again she's like believing her own myth that I have there must be a reason and that's what I was saying at the beginning of the episode like I need to know what what is going on with this relationship because I don't understand it I mean I'm curious I mean with Cooper we see that she has the part of the one crew symbol tattooed to her and, and she like definitely looks like she has been absorbed I mean, we, we know she is part of one crew now, like, wholeheartedly. But she, like, looks like she's been absorbed into that. Whereas, like, other characters, like, Miller doesn't have any tattoos or anything. She Cooper looks like a, a 
a Maj Paj of like Grounder and One Crew and Sky Crew. Like she's all of those things. Yeah. Um, which I find interesting, you know, about her getting that tattoo, which is a very Grounder thing to do. Maybe she like joined the like religious sect of One Crew. Maybe she's like one of like Gaia's disciples, and so she like kind maybe. Of- but that seems unlikely to me she doesn't seem well she seems fanatical but not like necessarily like in a religious sense she's like very much like a soldier yeah um and a fighter i mean i guess i guess you could be part of the religious sect and be a fighter i don't quite understand the complexity of the religion yet so i'm, I'm waiting to see more of gaia and um ethan too for being a novitiate of the of the religion yeah but we're just gonna have to wait and see yeah keep an eye on it Raven is being shocked by McCreary as Zeke watches on in horror. She tells Zeke that they can torture her all they want, but she can't tell them how to fix the missiles because she didn't block them. McCreary goes to give her water and then pours it all over her, then asks if she knows what will happen to her if he pushes the shock button while she's wet. Before he can, Zeke stops him, saying that he'll talk to her alone and get it out of her. Um, So this here was actually one of the first times that we've really seen McCreary in action, um, the torturing sort of action. We saw him a little bit with Clark, but but this is where we get, you know, real McCreary. And I did like that moment with the water bottle. That was the first moment where I was genuinely scared of something McCreary would do. Yeah. Because it was so subtle. And, like, you knew as he was giving her a drink that he was going to do something, but I couldn't figure out what he was going to do. Exactly. It's an especially cruel tactic Mm -hmm. and a really, really effective one. I think this is the McCreary that I've been waiting to see all all season. This is the McCreary I was waiting for. The McCreary were promised from the cast and the crew that, you know, he was going to be this, like, mad dog, like, crazy. I mean, like, like, he's – he delights in torture. Yeah. Sadist. Um, Sadist. Exactly. I am a little disappointed that this is the first time we see Raven and Zeke together. Me I do. I wish we could have seen the first time that they met and like seen Zeke take in who Raven is and what she looks like. And I, I just, again, this kind of starts like we're, it feels like we're starting in the middle and I want to see it from the beginning. Well, yeah. Not just the fact that, you know, Raven is the most beautiful person on the planet, literally. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of wanted to see Zeke kind of coming to terms with what he thought in his mind this person was with what she actually is and and how she's even better in person (laughs) you know like not even in a beauty sense but she's just so strong and so capable and so powerful in her own right yeah um I I just I wanted to experience that with him I just really (laughs) wanted to see them meet for the first time and I feel robbed agreed yeah McCreary brings in Murphy and Raven asks and asks Raven and Murphy which one of them killed Kodiak. When they don't answer, McCreary pulls a knife to Murphy's throat and says they have five seconds to tell him how to unlock the missiles. As he counts down, Raven cries and begs, but right before McCreary can get to five, Zeke pulls a gun on McCreary. McCreary tells him he's making a mistake, but as Zeke says, it wouldn't be the first time. McCreary leaves, but it's clear that his fight with Zeke isn't over. So clearly Zeke is having some regrets about joining up with the prisoners. I think Zeke has been having regrets from the second he joined up with the prisoners. Yeah. I really, really think this he's regretting some major life choices here. I mean, I think this too, he's seeing like normal people aside from Clark and Bellamy. Like these aren't the the, the fanatical cult that he met. um, And these aren't the prisoners. I think this is the one moment where he's able to think, there could be something out there where I would fit in. Right. Um, and, you know, hopefully from there, he will kind of slowly turn to their side. I'm sure Raven's beauty doesn't hurt anything. <laughs> no. no. I do think, too, that he's been 
used to being surrounded by such horrible, gross, awful people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the first time that you encounter, like, kind, interesting, dynamic, healthy people, like, you, it must just be so refreshing for him. I mean, I don't think he can stand watching McCurry torture them knowing that they're good. Yeah. Um, I also kind of wonder, was it an innocent person being threatened that got Zeke to turn, or was it Raven that got Zeke to turn? Like, was it his attraction, be it, um, you know, physical or, like, mental or just, you know, his sympathy for her that got him to turn, or was it just, like, I can't do this anymore to people who don't deserve it? I think it was the latter. So he just, like, in general, he, like, can't watch them be tortured anymore? I think he can't stand it anymore. And he can't live with himself anymore. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, Because I do think even if it was just Murphy in there, I think he would have just been, like... I don't think... I mean, I think that, yeah, Raven is an extra bonus. Well, and I mean, Raven's just, like, agonized cries and pleas, I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, and it's clear, especially having two people in that room watching their torture as the other is being tortured Mm -hmm. is especially horrible to watch. Um, and I'm sure that that was also a factor. Yeah. Raven and Murphy make sure the other's okay, and Murphy says not to tell Zeke anything. Zeke says she couldn't if she wanted to because, shock, Zeke is the one who locked the missiles to stop Dioza from killing all of Bunker Crew. Color me surprised. What? (laughs) Raven and Murphy are furious that Zeke let them get tortured in order to save his own ass. Um, my question, do we blame Zeke in this? Um, no, I don't. I honestly don't either. Like, I, I, I get their point that, like, if he had I told mean, them, at least, he, you know, they'd be torturing someone who deserved it, quote unquote, deserved it, or at least was responsible for whatever happened. Um, but I don't think that would be proactive at all. No. I, I think that he was just desperately trying to figure out, like, a way that he can save Raven and Murphy and also save one crew yeah i mean like he doesn't owe these people anything and he was willing to save them and honestly turning himself in at this point isn't going to do anyone any good yeah i mean at least he still has some control over the situation if he can have get dioza to continue to trust him i agree and i completely understand why raven is pissed because if i were being tortured and found out that it was someone else's fault i would be off really really angry too but no, I, I don't. From a viewer's point of view, I don't blame him. I almost want to say, I mean, I'd be pissed if I were being tortured and it was someone else's fault and they were letting me be tortured. But in this situation, I actually expected a little bit more, not gratitude from Raven and Murphy, but just like Zeke did save your friends. I agree. Um, I was also kind of shocked that there wasn't even like a drop of yeah. some bit or just like feeling of... of of relief like it's a complicated situation but he's done what he's done in order to protect your friends from right. being blown up yeah so like give him a little bit of leeway <laughs> give him a little bit of credit yeah um i did love seeing raven and murphy genuinely concerned for each other in this scene and i Me love too. their friendship oh, them both checking first to make sure the other's okay mm-hmm. was just it was lovely great. and i it was wonderful it was a beautiful touch it was 
Murphy says they should at least hear Zeke out because he obviously has a plan to get them out, right? Obviously. Obviously. For Zeke, it's either continue to let them get tortured or tell Dioza that Raven helped him and unlock the missiles and blow up their friends. Um, so a sucky plan. <laughs> yeah. But Raven, of course, being Raven, has a better one. She tells Zeke that they, that they saw him on the captain's log and know he's not like the other prisoners. So now he's going to help them save their friends. And Murphy is going to like her plan much more. So Raven is pulling a classic Clark move. She's found the third option when only given two shitty choices. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is a Raven move, too. Like, Raven is a brilliant problem solver. She is. She is. That's a good point. Especially when it comes to plans such as this, yeah. which are very, like, like logical and tech-focused. Yeah. Um, Raven is, you know, they'd all die without Raven. We all know this. So. Yeah, she's the Hermione of the group. Yep. I did love that Raven just pretty much bulldozes Zeke. Oh, yeah. She's like, your plan is dumb. I'm going to tell you what we're actually going to do, uh, and you're going to listen to me. I've had this information <laughs> for 30 seconds, which yeah. is more than enough for me to devise a much better plan. <laughs> and I do like that she appeals to his better nature. Yeah. I mean, she's using the background information that she's discovered um, to win him over. And I do think that it, well, we can talk about it if we think it's actually worked or not. But in this yeah. scene, it seems that it does. Agreed. Abby's looking at the scans, and Kane tells her she needs to rest, but Abby says she needs to keep working while she can. She knows she almost got Kane killed in the arena, and that he had to kill someone because of her, and it's clear she doesn't know how they can keep going after this. So do you think we're actually seeing the demise of Cabby here, or just kind of a stumbling block in their relationship? That is a good question, um, and I've thought about this a lot, and I don't, I don't know. I'm assuming you have a thought. I do have, well, I have two thoughts. Okay. Um, we're kind of operating under the assumption that Kane will most likely die this season. He's right. See, it seems like that's where he's going. Yeah. Um, I'm not positive, but that's that's kind of, you know, the general idea. So I think if he is actually going to die this season, I do think this is kind of the demise of their relationship. I don't think that they can really, you know, come back from this in the next, I don't know, seven episodes that we have. Mm-hmm. Um. If he doesn't die this season and if Abby doesn't die this season, I think this is a stumbling block. I think Abby needs to kind of find her own power and find her own determination to beat, not beat this addiction, but to to overcome it. As Clark says in, in season three, we don't, what was it? We don't ease pain, we overcome it. I feel like Abby needs to kind of find it within herself to want to stop taking the pills. Um, I I do think that she can. You know, we saw at the end of the last episode, or not the end, but somewhere in the middle, that she was one of the last ones, or the last one out of um, the bunker. And I hope that that means, you know, thinking of the bunker like Pandora's box, I hope that means Abby is hope, and there is hope for her to become the person she used to be and the person that she likes again. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't know if I would agree that if Kane is scheduled to die that it makes sense for them this to be their demise because I don't know what the point of breaking them up would be and then killing him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense from like a narrative point of view, but I can see just from his continued frustrations with her and her addiction, they have some tough road ahead of them. I guess when I say demise, I don't necessarily mean they would break up, but I I think that Abby has a lot to work through on a personal level, and she can't fully be with Kane until she works through that. Agreed. And 
if she, and I don't think that she can work through that. I, I think it'll take the rest of the season for her to work through that at least. And, and so if Kane dies this season, I just don't think that they're going to be able to like really commit to each other before he dies. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I would agree with that. Dioza comes in and Abby tells her that Vincent has pulmonary tumefaction, most likely caused by what they were mining. To treat it, Abby needs a biopsy. Dioza tells her that there are 13 more patients with similar symptoms, and they all have the results from previous physicians' biopsies, who couldn't figure out what was wrong with them, so McCreary slit his throat. Uh, oh, McCreary. Oh, McCreary. <laughs> that darn McCreary. <laughs> Killed someone again. Yeah. So, um, again, I'm, I'm curious why Dioza keeps him as her right-hand man after he killed their doctor. Because it, it seems like, you know, we saw her um, last episode not punish Sabunka, mm-hmm. the guy who shot at Octavia. Uh, McCreary was the one who punished him. And then here, I don't know what she did to McCreary, but he still is, like, her trusted lieutenant in, in some ways. Um so I'm wondering if she's not really properly punishing people who go against her orders. And if not, is that kind of hurting her authority? I think so. I mean, I think her her inability to, like, execute the threats that she makes, or at least the, like, intended, implied threats mm-hmm. of challenging her, her authority is part of the reason why she has such little control yeah. over her men. And it's a problem. Kane realizes that Dioza was just testing Abby, and Dioza says they don't need a doctor, they need a good doctor. Kane tells her there are other people like Abby in the bunker. There are doctors, farmers, engineers. Dioza notes that they're all trained to kill, but Kane says they had no other choice, but Dioza can give them one. There isn't time to invite them over for tea, as Octavia's army is marching toward them now, but Kane reminds her that the murderers and thieves that she's leading aren't really tea drinkers either. Kane, always the diplomat always the pacifists trying to find a way to work together (laughs) um i do think this idea about giving people in one crew um a non-violent option um when they haven't been given that choice in one crew is really interesting and something that i hadn't really thought about before and i'm just curious i mean like do we do we think there are enough people in one crew who would like defect i mean is that are there are they are there people brave enough to defect at this point? I don't know. I think that is the question. Not if they want to defect, right. but are they brave enough right. to defect? I, I, I would really, I really like this idea. I think he's onto something here. Um, but I don't know if there is anyone in, in one crew who would challenge Octavia like that. Well, I mean, speaking, I, I would call it like a slight spoiler just from what we saw in the trailer for next episode. We do see that there are some who are wanting to defect. Yeah. And Octavia wants to kill them for defecting. Um, I don't know how many there are. But I think this plan is a great plan. Like I said, I am, like, definitely Team Dioza's leader over Team Octavia's leader. Yeah. At this point in time. Um, I am really interested in the idea that Dioza would just, like, drop the murderers and thieves and side with, like logical like smart chill people yeah so basically <laughs> instead of like having people defect from one crew basically like Dioza like breaks off from her crew and like starts her own <laughs> removing Octavia yeah interesting interesting McCreary comes in and tells Dioza that Zeke pulled a gun on him it's clear he wants to kill Zeke but Dioza says that she's not giving him permission for it just then someone on the radio tells McCreary that one of the prisoners took off from the airlock 
Um, so the dynamic between Dioza and McCreary is still very confusing to me. Uh, it definitely, like, Z or McCreary's like, I'm not asking for permission. I'm just telling you is like respect. But like, as she notes, like, no, you are asking for permission and I'm not going to give it to you. Right. Like he, he still defers to her authority. Um, and yet he definitely seems to have a lot of power in his own right with his own kind of people, quote unquote. Um, so I, I really am not clear on why he's still following her. Well, I think he recognizes that she's smarter than him. I mean, he is smart enough to recognize that she is smarter than him. Yeah. And I, I do think that he, he doesn't always agree with her methods, but I think he thinks she has good ideas. Do you think that he's kind of keeping her around to help him get rid of the, the one crew issue and then, like, once they're gone, he'll try to overthrow her? Possibly. I mean, I don't know if he needs to overthrow her, but maybe just, like, exert more power over her. Yeah. Well, I was going to say overthrow seems very active. I feel like if he just stops listening to her his men will also yeah. stop listening to her. So yeah. Murphy's running. Suddenly <laughs> Echo jumps out and stops him. Murphy tells her that Raven knew space crew would be watching the camp and they have to go now. At Echo's signal, Monty, Harper, and Echo come out. Or, and, and Amori come out. Amori is furious that Murphy left Raven, but Murphy says they made a deal. Um, so first off, I love that Echo is basically just, like, protecting these little ducklings. Yeah, she's, like, their mama bear. She's their mama bear. She's, like, keeping watch and, like, with little animal signals. And she's just so much more capable yeah. than the rest of them. And this maybe, is, like, her terrain. Maybe not Amori. I think, well, Amori is very used to being on her own. Right. I think she can take care I of herself, think, but not other people. Right. I think Echo is much better at, like taking care of protecting other people yeah. that's her job is to protect other people in these woods specifically yeah. <laughs> um it's like her entire job um but I also did love the fact that she is like leading them around and I love the fact that the first thing Amori asks about is Raven's safety because yeah. their friendship is just such a wonderful addition to this show and it makes me so happy I love it too the mentorship yeah Harper asks about Abby and Kane, and Murphy is clearly surprised by the fact that they're there. Echo's glad Bellamy got the bunker open, but she's worried that he didn't come home with Allegius. Maddie suddenly appears behind Murphy, asking about Clark. Murphy is confused by the Hobbit for a second, but they can't waste time. They have to get in radio range and warn Bellamy that Allegius is going to fire their missiles. Um, so, loved Murphy's reaction to Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. like everything was great I loved his face when she was like I'll drive and he was like what Who are you <laughs> he was like like amused and like surprised and like a little bit intrigued <laughs> I did see in an interview I can't remember when it was a really long time ago like before the season started Richard has was talking about like there were some pop culture references in this season that he like was very confused about and he asked Jason and Jason was like yeah they have movies on the arc so I think this is one of them oh my god they're watching Lord they of watch the Rings. Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> you know that didn't even occur to me I guess I just kind of assumed that they'd read the book but I, I guess don't think Murphy I, read the book <laughs> I love the idea that they've all watched Lord of the Rings I think that's fantastic <laughs> I bet they had movie nights on the arc popcorn yeah. green algae popcorn <laughs> I just loved everybody's reaction to Abby to Maddie um I feel like they're all just very bewildered by this mini Clark <laughs> and they don't really know what to do with her because she's so tiny but she's like so, so capable she's so in charge yeah. <laughs> and they're like all right well I guess you're in charge now and she's just so cute <laughs> my little mini Clark 
Zeke is at the Allegis controls as Dioza and McCreary comes in. Before Dioza can get angry, Zeke says he let Murphy go so Raven could unlock the missiles. Zeke also notes that Murphy is still collared so they can track the collar and let Murphy lead them to the others. Raven is furious and Dioza orders her escorted back to her cell. Dioza is clearly pleased with Zeke and McCreary is pissed. <laughs> this is just such a double disappointment for McCreary. I mean, he, he clearly thought that Zeke was in for punishment and now he's being praised. This is just a low blow yeah. for him. He's not having a great day. It's rough. Life is rough, McCreary. <laughs> Sorry that you didn't get to torture more yeah. people. <laughs> um, so I guess my question is, do you think that Zeke and Raven plan this together? Like, is this all some giant ruse with Raven being mad part of the plan? Or was their plan to just let Murphy go and have him warn them and then Zeke kind of snuck this in? I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I was equally confused and in asking this question. I hope they've planned this. Yeah. Um, well, okay, go ahead. Well, I just, I don't know what the point would be for Zeke to want to track Murphy and his friends. Like, he, like I do genuinely think that he wants Murphy and Raven to get out of there and be safe. Yeah. So I, I have to believe that they've worked out some sort of plan, or at least he's worked out some sort of plan, that he's yeah. not just, like, you know, throwing this out there again to save his own ass for letting Murphy out. Yeah, and I don't know that if he had worked out his own plan that he would have necessarily trusted Raven with yeah. it. Like, maybe he wanted her reaction to be pure, so he didn't tell her That's something. a good. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. We will have to see. Everyone's in the rover. Murphy's trying to get hold of Bellamy on the radio, but there's no answer. Maddie is a little bit confused by Murphy. She thought he'd be funnier. <laughs> Murphy's a bit confused, but Monty reveals that Clark told Maddie stories about all of them. Maddie tells them that Octavia was her favorite, but no offense. <laughs> offense taken. Yeah, offense <laughs> deeply taken. Clark said she wouldn't have made it without all of them. Echo responds they wouldn't have made it without Clark. Uh, like, they wouldn't have made it past the first few episodes of this show without Clark. <laughs> no. No, they'd all be dead a hundred times over. A hundred times over. I mean, to be fair, also a hundred times over without Raven and without Bellamy. Yeah. But, like, Clark is pretty central here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is interesting to see Maddie still referring to them like their characters, even though she sees that they're flesh and blood and they're standing right next to her. Yeah. Like, she is still enchanted with the versions of them that Clark told her. And I don't think that she's entirely reconciled their characters with the people that she is sitting in the car with. Yeah, I mean, again, everyone knows these quote-unquote stories of each other over the real people because it's also clear that Clark has been heroified to the space crew, um, just like space crew has been to Maddie. Yeah. And it's a really great juxtaposition for Octavia to be Maddie's favorite when the viewers actually know what Octavia has become in the last six years. So, so true. I'm just, I'm loving this idea that the characters all have to figure out who they're, they actually are in, in terms of, you know, the stories that have been told about them. Yeah. Again, it's like this idea of like their reputation versus yeah. who they really are. I also just loved... Everything about this scene with Maddie and her new trash Uncle Murphy because <laughs> this is this is fan fiction at its finest. Yeah. Like, I would watch a movie of this. I, like, just a, a road trip movie with Maddie and Murphy. Yeah. It yeah. sounds perfect. <laughs> it's just, like, her innocence and his, like, cynicism. Her, like, innocence but also, like, sassy innocence. Yeah. It's perfect combination. <laughs> Murphy's shock collar suddenly goes off and Monty realizes the collar has a proximity tether to Shallow Valley. Maddie backs the jeep up and the collar stops, but there's no time to get it off. Murphy knows that he has to stay behind, 
Monty tells them that Tether has a tracker, and they're probably on their way right now, but Murphy convinces them to leave now to warn Bellamy. And as the rover pulls away, we see Amori chose to stay behind with Murphy. This was such a good scene. I really loved it. And I loved the way that Murphy, you know, making this self-sacrificing choice and making the brave choice kind of reminds Amori, like, why she cares about him so much and, like, that he's not just, like, the worst version of himself. Absolutely. And I love that this is kind of why she decides to stay and help him. I personally am really excited to see Murphy and Amori echoing (laughs) (laughs) interacting again um, now that Murphy is back on the ground, which is a place that I think he views himself as useful. Yeah. Um, And I think it's a place that he can kind of be his best self. So now that he's out of that place that he felt trapped and suffocated, is their relationship going to kind of repair itself in some ways because they're back in their elements I hope so I mean I'm I'm pretty sure it will and I also I'm just really excited because they like still kind of quote-unquote hate each other oh yeah and they're gonna be like stuck together and I just like this again fan fiction this is my favorite thing this is my favorite thing uh also are the two of them going to try to rescue Raven I hope so I I really do I would like that because I mean Maury clearly is very worried about her I mean what else is too where else can they go yeah so that's what I mean like they're they're stuck here so might as well as well might as well and it is worth noting just again I know I say this a lot but like Murphy has come a really long way yeah I I cannot believe that he had like an actual Gryffindor moment in this episode (laughs) it would I would have bet my life that a little like pure, pure Slytherin, Slytherin boy had a really really Gryffindor moment it was yeah. just crazy Clark and Bellamy are alone in the tent with Obika Clark tells Bellamy that Octavia is not the only one who's changed Bellamy could have killed the prisoners in cryo but he didn't Dioza would have killed her if not for Bellamy and Bellamy was the one who got the bunker open of course Bellamy didn't realize it would be Pandora's box but uh <laughs> but really Clark's serious she notes that he's become the head and the heart and this show suddenly turns into Belloc fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, she asks him what his head says about two armies fighting a war in the only livable place left on Earth. And Bellamy assumes his head is thinking the same thing as hers. Yeah, it's a little bit like too much on the nose that Bellamy said Pandora's <laughs> box. And all joking aside, like I do how much I do love how much they make him a giant nerd. Oh my God, like such a nerd. He's an uber nerd. <laughs> like he would wear glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do think that Clark's like quote unquote heart and head bit is also a bit on the nose. Oh yeah, um, it was really cheesy. It, it was super cheesy, and it, it makes a lot of sense that Bellamy would have that lost conversation kind of playing in his head all the time, um, because that clearly led him to become the person that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to me that Clark remembers it just as well. Yeah, like she remembers those words, even though it wasn't you know they they weren't something that actually affected her. Yeah. Um. So I guess she's been thinking about him a lot. Yeah. Well, Well, I mean, it was their, like, last substantial conversation they had. Um, But, But yeah. But just her, like, making the connection that she told him he has to use his head and his heart. And then, you know, six years later being like, oh, yeah, head and heart. And, like, picking up that conversation as if they just had it. Like, her saying head and heart would make sense to him. I mean, it did. But, like, No, I agree. I think um, these two are so in sync. Emotionally, they're all over the map. Yeah. I mean, they they just can't get on the same page this episode after everything that they've gone through. There's just, like, so much feeling on both sides, and I don't think either of them are ready to open themselves up to it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But in some ways, I mean, they are exactly who they they always were to each other. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, Clark doesn't understand this new Bellamy as well, and this conversation definitely seems like her kind of poking around, trying to get a feel for him. Yeah. And really trying to get him to emote, because I think she's having a hard time with it right now. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, at the at first he was, like, trying to get her to open up, and she wasn't ready, and mm-hmm. now she's trying to get him to open up, and he's not ready, and I mean, they're just, they're a little bit out of sync yeah. in this way. Yeah. Um, but but I'm sure that they'll get on the same page soon. <laughs> well, I heard it's going to be a rough season for them, so maybe not. <laughs> and soon, I mean, by the end of this series. <laughs> I do like um, that we see Clark basically echo Dio's thoughts from earlier in this episode about, um, you know, this being the only survivable place on Earth and not wanting to wage a war there. And I am glad that they, they brought this up twice in this episode because it is very concerning to yeah. me. And I like that Clark and Dioza are thinking the same thing. Uh, one more thing. Given the cheesiness of the heart and headline, are we also going to see a what does your heart say line this season? Because I wouldn't have thought so before this scene and the writing here. But now I'm like, honestly, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> I mean, like, it's so over the top cheesy. I feel like they have to reel it back a little bit. Like, it, this was like the threshold for me. I mean, this is the show that gave us. It's not your blood that makes you who you are. It's your heart. That's <laughs> true. This show does dabble in cheesiness, but it's not its natural mode for them. Yeah. Why? Well, I completely agree, which is why this scene was really weird. So weird. <laughs> Great. But loved it. Yeah. Great. But weird. Uh, hearing voices outside the tent, Bellamy and Clark rush out to see a sandstorm gathering on the horizon. It's blocking their way back to Polis, and Clark notes that they should have that they should be fine as long as it keeps moving laterally, but if the wind shifts, they're going to have a problem. But as Octavia says, the wind hasn't met one, girl. Oh, God. Octavia, it's wind. <laughs> what are you even saying? Like, it's wind. This is not an enemy, you crazy, crazy person. <laughs> last season nature was the enemy but like it's wind she's just like personifying (laughs) things at this point I mean she's just she literally thinks that she is a god yeah she does I mean that's how a god speaks yeah Uh, Octavia orders them to keep moving but Bellamy says that now they're stuck between razor blade winds and burrowing parasitic bugs thanks to her but Octavia counters thanks to Bellamy they're now at war but Bellamy tells her they're only at war if she insists on fighting it Octavia says it's fight or die that's all there is and she knows he doesn't understand yet because he is not one of them Bellamy asks if Obika is one of them because she's about to end his life like it means nothing and Clark notices one crew beginning to stir around in Bellamy's anger Bellamy and Octavia, blah, blah, blah. Bellamy and Octavia, they sound like bickering toddlers in this scene. I mean, like, he clearly brings out the worst in her. She reacts to him just like a small child would to their older brother who's, like, pushing her. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she is a leader now, and she needs to start acting like one and grow the hell up and move on. I know there's a lot of baggage between them. I know there's a lot of trauma for her to overcome but like this is unacceptable behavior and she needs to get over it and it's, it's infuriating I am really tired of this crap um I'm done I'm done with you I'm done with this whole sibling situation the two of you need to grow up and get over it like again I say would she rather still be in the bunker I it's just infuriating it's absolutely obnoxious and I do think it's interesting to see here that Octavia has always looked at things in black and white terms um she's never really seen a gray area Mm -hmm. um and that's always been a huge character flaw for her but this is like the most extreme version that we've ever seen of this where she's like we fight or we die yeah I mean 
what that's not true it's just not true that's that's not a binary thing there um, it, it's very clear that Octavia doesn't like to be challenged and and one crew is furious that Bellamy is questioning her and, and she especially doesn't like to be challenged when it's the truth because it is right I mean it like irks her that he's right yeah and it, I think it's also infuriating to her that he's doing it in public well yeah she's like he's questioning her authority in front of her people right. which I do understand yeah her like I mean like at that but Bellamy could have probably done it in message a, yeah. this in a in a better way but I don't think the message would have been received no a, 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 ever no so it's it kind of irrelevant they hear screaming and rush back in to check on Obika the parasite underneath his skin is straining at his chest and then huge shock for anyone who's ever seen a movie the parasite pops out of his skin like a daisy in the snow and all the bugs just scramble out Ugh. they burn down the tent but one of the parasites manages to burrow itself into Octavia's arm so this isn't even a subtle alien illusion. No, it's this, shot it's for like shot. like shot for shot alien. Yeah. It's very similar to the way that they did Lord of the Rings last year when Octavia fell off yeah. the cliff. <laughs> it's like they like pick a movie each season. We're going to be like, we're going to reference this movie. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> they also reference Lord of the Rings in this movie so or in this uh, episode. So. They do. They do. They love their Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> Can't blame them. It's great. Um, but I do like that the show loves to play with genre and that we are in like a full monster slasher movie here. Yeah. I mean, last season, um, it was like episode seven. I think we had like kind of the horror, the like blonde girl alone in a house. Here is a sound crash. Yeah. Um, which that was great. And then, you know, here it's just like the blood and the gore. Yeah. This is gory. Yeah. I don't, I mean like we've done a little gory before, like, in season two when Lincoln was like hooked on that weird drug stuff that made him like a crazy person and they were like that gory though not really and they were like in the garage and that was like very much of like a thriller like suspense kind of thing and when they were in the house that this is like the first time I've really seen like gore on this show a bug popped out of his stomach oh my god it was so (laughs) gross you guys I really almost threw up I mean I love this kind of stuff I hate it I did not I hate it (laughs) Octavia says she can't feel her legs, and Clark realizes the parasite is venomous. Clark notes that she can't let the parasite get into her torso, so Clark ties off her arm to stop the blood flow and asks for a knife. Clark says it's going to hurt, and then she starts cutting the parasite out of Octavia's arm. (laughs) Um, So first, Clark's annoyance with Cooper here gives me life. Oh my god, Cooper's like trying to like like give her her wisdom, quote unquote, to Clark, and Clark's like, "Thank you, leave." (laughs) Yes, thank you. Get out of my way. I do. This is my favorite version of Clark. I love the way that she just takes charge here. Like, all posturing aside, I know Octavia thinks she's in Clark, in charge, but it is clear that Clark is in charge after all. Like, this is Clark in her element. I mean, it was funny, too, though, that, you know, Clark needed a knife, and Octavia basically had to give permission for them to give her a knife to cut into her. Yeah. Um. So, like, Octavia still is, like, that kind of in control, but Clark... Like you said, it's Clark at her best. You know, the, you're going to lose it like hell I am going to lose it. Yeah. Um, that's my girl. That is Clark and her determination and her intelligence kind of all comes together in this moment. Yeah. She's, um, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. And this is, I think, the Clark, the truest version of Clark. The I agree. Clark that Clark always wanted to be. Yeah. This so. is the Clark that we saw in season one in yeah. her, like, purest form mm-hmm. before all of the shit hit the fan. She wants to save and ended up, you know being you know one hitter yeah um but this is who she's always wanted to be yeah someone who saves other people i agree 
and just you know they are just like children Bellamy and Octavia forget their fight from like 30 seconds before and are like love each other again and I seriously like these two just need so much therapy I they it's clear how much they love each other but there is just they are the definition of dysfunctional I mean which again makes sense but it gets to a certain point when it's like I can't be like hit on the head with a mallet anymore like stop beating the dead horse we know they're dysfunctional right I, I'm like tired of seeing this yeah. over and over and over again and I need I need some growth in either direction from both of them like I, I wouldn't even call this downward growth um this still no feels this is like, static yeah it still feels like whenever Octavia is with Bellamy She's the same person, even when she's this horrifying blood drainer. And Bellamy is always the person who forgives her and lets her walk all over him. I I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. While Clark works, Monty finally comes through the radio and tells Bellamy that Allegius has missiles and they're coming to destroy them. They have to hide and take cover. Monty says Murphy has a friend on the inside who said they'll have a window where Allegius won't be watching and that's when they have to do it. Um, So Murphy does consider Zeke a friend even though he didn't take the shot collar off I you know there, there must have been something that Zeke told Murphy about leaving the shot collar on yeah about like you know why he wouldn't take it off we did see that weird shot of like they like zeroed in on like where the GPS was tracking Murphy and yeah then Zeke like kind of did something and it looked like he like was like ghosting it so that it was like actually showing a different location oh did he I like I couldn't tell I, what was happening there. I really could it wasn't very clear uh-huh. but that is like one interpretation that I think that would make sense I think that would make sense too but I need confirmation before I'm like 100% married to that but theory. I still wouldn't know why he'd have to leave the shot collar on I don't know Maybe, because, like, like, to keep it active They or had, something. like, an active moment where, like, Monty's reaching for the shot collar and Murphy's like, I wouldn't do that. So, like, it's not like Murphy forgot that was there. Yeah. Um, maybe they didn't have time. I have maybe. no idea. I, I, I just, I really want to find out more about this situation between Zeke and Murphy and, and Raven and what, what Zeke is playing at. Because exactly. I, I really I, I don't know what side he is on yet. I mean, I do think he's on... I don't think he's on the prisoner's side. No. I wouldn't say he's like 100% on one crew's side or like the rest of our friend's side, but I think he's on the side of like, I don't want to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Like, I think we only have 1,500 people left in the world, so. Yeah, I think he's on Zeke's side and what Zeke thinks is right. And I don't think that he's like particularly married to anybody right now. I do think he's leaning on the side with like the nice normal people. Right. Right. <laughs> he's, this seems like an, a nice option for him. Yeah. I also like don't love this plan. This like seems like very, very risky plan to me. Like they are clearly going to get blown up. I don't know what they were thinking here. Do you have like I don't understand this plan. Do you get this plan? I'm sorry. Are you asking me the plan for them to like hide in the desert? Well like I know that Raven and Murphy didn't expect them to be in the desert but like didn't they Zeke knows where they are but like yeah so so there's like missiles coming at them where did they expect them to hide I don't get it well I think it's night and and like uh Monty said Zeke is creating some sort of window where Allegius won't be watching them so they have the chance to get away from the, the camp and they obviously left the camp there to make it seem like they were still there so oh, it's dark and they like left. They just didn't count on there being sand snakes and sand storms. Right. Got it. Now I get it. Okay. Um, I really was. Still, I it, was like, 
this plan sucks. It's a risky plan, but I think at that point there wasn't a lot of option. Yeah, no, I'm not blaming Raven. I think this was the best that they could have done. I just, this seemed very risky to yeah. me. Clark manages to pull out the worm. Indra doesn't know what they're going to find cover from, uh, or where they're going to find cover from missiles in the middle of a wasteland, which is My a great question, question. exactly. <laughs> Clark thinks that if Allegia sees them retreat, they'll stand down. But Octavia says that one crew does not retreat. Bellamy tells her they do if they want to live, but they can't retreat as Indra notes because that would put them right in the middle of a sandstorm. Octavia tells Bellamy to get ready to understand what one crew is capable of. Mm. So... What about Clark's interactions with the Legias make her think that they'll actually stand down of one crew retreats? I don't know. Maybe just she's an optimist. She seems confident, but I also just kind of wonder if it was just like, oh, yeah, they'll definitely, like, back off if we retreat, like, trying to, like, get Octavia to retreat. <laughs> yeah, I think she was just trying to take control of a situation that was escalating very quickly. Yeah. It was just very, very much like Clark. But it did not, I mean, like, Clark isn't an optimist. That's no, not something she's that not. she is. she's not. She is a realist. So it was just a weird moment because, you know, Allegis tortured you. So Yeah, I, I just think she was trying to grab the situation from Octavia because I think she thinks Octavia is batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. I do have to hand it to Octavia, though. Even when she's filled with venom, she is still a badass. I mean, she's crazy. But she is a badass. She was like a drunk badass. She was like, Bullis is in our home. <laughs> She's like doing a Johnny Depp impression. Yeah. <laughs> Zeke says they have a missile target lock on the one crew camp. Dioza tells him to fire, and when he hesitates, she says they're not doing this again. At that, Zeke fires the missile and blows up the camp. And as they head back home, it's clear that Dioza did not enjoy what they just had to do. So I am fascinated by Dioza you know that that look on her face after they blew up the camp like she very obviously hated killing one crew or like what she thought happened which was killing one crew right. um and I kind of wonder you know is it maybe because she identifies with them um more likely she identifies with them more than the murderers who are now her home people you know yeah I, I think that she sees a passion in them and a loyalty that she misses from her own people be it the navy seals or be it the terrorists um i i, I just i really liked seeing her conflicted here yeah her struggle it humanizes her and it makes her a really interesting character yeah and we see zeke does hesitate here again so maybe raven convinced him and he is like completely on their side after all and is like continuing to help them I mean, I think he hesitated because he was worried that they hadn't gotten the message in time. Yeah, I, I think that's very possible. Like, I, I do think that he is on team, I don't want to blow up one crew. Like, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. So, I, I think the hesitation here was just, like, I really, really hope that they're all okay and, like, out of here. Yeah. Because it's hard to tell when all the tents are still there. Okay. I like um, that. We flash to a shot of one crew huddling in the middle of a sandstorm, sheltering Octavia, who lies in the middle of the circle. Um... Could they not have taken anything from camp that would have helped protect them? Like, even one tent that they could kind of wrap around themselves? I, I don't know. I mean, the tent would have ripped to shreds anyway, but yeah, but like, better, than, better it, than their bodies. bodies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, like, what kind of a leader is Octavia that she would let her people sacrifice themselves for her safety? A cult leader. Yeah. That is what a cult leader would do. I mean, she was ill at this point. I mean, but to I, play devil's advocate, yes, that's true. But I do also think if she were not ill and she were, you know, as she was, she would still be in the middle of this group. I agree. I This is absolutely horrible to me, and I can't stand it. Yeah. Kane wakes up the next morning to see Abby working, and it's clear she's taking her pills. 
Kane is upset, as she promised not to. Before she can answer, McCreary comes in and his people drag Kane away. Abby says that if anything happens to Kane, she won't help them, but McCreary tells her, yes, she will. Abby asks which scan is his, and as he pulls out the file, he asks her if she can save him. But Abby fires back with the question, should she, should she save him? Should she shave him? <laughs> this is the Abby we know and love. Um, she, sh- This is like her in her element, just mm-hmm. like this, that was Clark in her element. And she does seem really functional with those pills. I mean, I wonder how long it lasts, but it seems like it would, would go on for as long as she's taking them. Yeah. I mean, I like obviously don't like the fact that Abby's addicted I don't want that for her but I have to side here with Abby over Kane because if the pills help her function right now in this camp full of murderers if they help her stay alive and do her job you know she needs to take them this is not the right environment for her to try to quit cold turkey right I mean like needs to be at her you know as, as best as she can be and then when we're safe and when we're in a better position then you can work on kind of overcoming this addiction. But I right agree. Now, Dioza made it very clear that, like, she's only useful, like, she's only alive when she is useful. Yeah. They're both only alive when Abby is useful. So yeah. Abby needs to be useful. And that kind of pressure, too, doesn't help with, like, trying not to take the pills. Right. So. I mean, like, you need you need a crutch. Yeah. She needs it. Uh, we see, too, where he gets the name Paxton Graveyard McCreary because his back is covered with little crosses, which I'm assuming is for people he's killed although I'm a little bit surprised there's not more yeah I don't know I mean maybe it was just like symbolic kills or something like that I don't know I was very distracted by his chest because he's really attractive he's really attractive and I was like trying really hard not to be attracted to him but I do like the idea of like his crosses and the graveyard each represents a person so it's like a graveyard of bodies like on his back yeah I really like that too uh, Kane is led to Dioza, who's enjoying the silence of the morning. Kane guesses that Octavia is dead, but o- but Dioza says she's not. An entire battalion huddled in a sandstorm to protect her, which is something that Dioza's murderers and thieves would not do for her. Um, so Dioza, she just like we mentioned this earlier, clearly wants the quiet life. Yeah, she just wants to sit and breathe the fresh air and live free. Like she does not want this war. No, she really appreciates like the beautiful, peaceful things that this place has to offer. And that's such an interesting characteristic for a soldier. Yeah. Um, she is so soft. And again, I mean, like she's just so interesting. Well, as we see later in the season, and I'm curious the context of this, but um, Indra tells Gaia that real warriors hate war. Yeah. And Dios is clearly a real warrior, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, it's just interesting to note that her patriotic tattoos have been burned off, and I'm assuming she did that herself, but I'm not, like, 100% convinced. Yeah, I don't know. I hope we get a backstory on that. Yeah. Dioza tells Kane that her father helped hide her from the SEAL team that was sent to bring her in, the team that she trained. They shot her father in the head, and when she heard them coming, she slit her own throat. She clearly wasn't successful and notes that she should have shot herself in the head, too. What a badass. She <laughs> slit her own throat. Yeah, that's pretty pretty intense. Although, you should stab your throat, not slit. You should, like, you know, stab it in and, like, pull Are it out. Are you a serial killer? I'm just saying she clearly didn't do it right. She didn't do you it gotta right. You got to dig deep and get that, you know, vein. Okay, I'm good. Thank I'm you. Just, I'm just saying. It'd be much harder to come back from stabbing yourself in the throat. We saw, we saw Clark stab, was it Adam? Was that his name? Adam? Yeah. In the throat in episode three. And it was just like a quick like bloop. And then he was dead. It was all good. Just cut that vein. Dios should have known that. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> okay. I can't. 
Um, I did like seeing this like a little bit of softness in Dioza here because the thought of her father dying, it clearly still bothers her. And, you know, she was hiding, you know, at her father's house. And I think in some way she probably thinks that, you know, she's responsible for his death. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of adds a little bit more context to who she is and, and what she wanted in life mm-hmm. and what she valued I guess is what I'm really trying yeah. to say yeah and she clearly had like a deep connections with people too yeah. and she had a great capacity for love yeah. Diosa tells Cain the pill issue is between him and his wife and she notes with interest when Cain says that Abby is not his wife she and Cain take a shot of tequila Cain coughing the whole way through and then Cain asks if this means she's going to bring his people over Diosa says maybe but first he is to tell her more about Octavia I think Kane is really uncomfortable with the idea of him and Abby, like, being married at this point. I mean, it was interesting that he corrected her. I think that he he is somebody who would consider marriage as, like, a partnership and, like, being there for each other. And I don't think that now um, with Abby's addiction and the fact that she's always going to choose the pills over anything else, I don't think that this codependence sits well with Kane. Um even though in like earlier seasons I'm sure he would have gladly married her I don't think they're in a place right now in their relationship where he's like comfortable with that idea and I think that's why he called it out oh I totally agree I mean we, we talked about earlier I don't think that Abby has a lot to work on um personally yeah so before she can really commit to Kane, she has to figure out her herself and what she really wants um and until then I think Kane is going to feel kind of a block between them. Definitely. I do like that Kane coughs in this scene too. It's a small detail, but I liked it. <laughs> I mean, haven't they really though been basically drinking like moonshine and tequila is really smooth compared to that. Te- tequila is smooth compared to like most alcohols, honestly. Maybe the moonshine's just not that strong. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Kane's not a great drinker. I feel like Monty would have made it strong though. <laughs> yeah, he probably would. I just like that Dio's is the one who like took the shot. Yeah. And was like, fine. Yeah. And Kane was the one who was like coughing. <laughs> In the morning, one crew is taking stock of their dead and wounded. Indra's hurt, and Clark thinks she has glass in her lungs and says they need to get her back to Polis. Miller reports that there's 12 dead, uh, with, with, including Obika, and Octavia tells them to take their weapons and armor and leave the bodies. Cooper is clearly upset by the idea of leaving them there, but Octavia says that the enemy can see this and they have to move. <laughs> so... My question for you. Yeah. Is Cooper upset because leaving the bodies instead of consuming them, like, dishonors them somehow and keeps them from, like, their souls ascending to the the soul plane? (laughs) I mean, after we discovered or, like, realized the cannibalism thing, like, I definitely see that. At first, I was really confused that she would challenge Octavia at all. Like, that seemed out of character for her. But if this is, like, somehow because of the significance of consuming the bodies of the dead like ties into all of that then that makes so much more sense to me yeah yeah and I just also wanted to note that Octavia is clearly furious that she has to retreat and is shutting off any emotion that she would have even for those those that you know that are dead and Mm -hmm. she I think she does soften a little bit for the dead like you know she she does like do the whole ceremony and like treats them with respect and she's like so angry at this point that she's just like can't even bother with that anymore Clark looks over Octavia's arm and Octavia thanks Clark for saving her life Bellamy comes over and tells Octavia that he sees now one crew is strong just like their leader 
Octavia tells Bellamy that she's glad he's alive and kisses him on the cheek, but as she pulls back, she whispers that if he ever speaks out against one crew again, then he's an enemy of one crew, her enemy. Clark watches the exchange in shock and horror. (laughs) WTF! Before we get into, like, Octavia and Bellamy, I wanted to say that Octavia thanks Clark here with so much respect. Yeah. Um, And it's respect that we haven't seen even previously in this episode. So I'm kind of wondering if, like, maybe everything that Clark has done this episode has reminded Octavia just how valuable Clark is to have on your side. Um, I also wonder, I think we've talked about this before too, if she kind of understands Clark more and the the decisions that Clark used to make um, now that she's kind of a leader and has to make those same sort of decisions. Yeah, I think that she was flattering herself thinking that she could do everything that Clark could do and she sees now that she is no Clark and I think she does really respect her. I just, I know I've said this a lot, but I am really done with Octavia at this point. I am even more done with Bellamy's like constant apologist attitude toward her. I need him to stand up for himself and tell her to take some personal responsibility. I can't stand. If he apologizes or concedes to her point of view one more time, I'm going to throw something. What we do see next episode is the one where he and Octavia spar, quote unquote spar. I'm not really sure if they're actually fighting or sparring. Yeah. Um, And we also heard Bob Morley was at a con today and he said that there will come a point in time where Bellamy just has to like stand up and say like enough is enough. This has to stop. (laughs) I'm so ready. I'm so ready. I was born ready. (laughs) I am so done. And I just, I'm also really confused how he could like interpret the actions of one crew last night and they're like using their bodies as a shield as like anything positive. I mean, it's so fanatical and so cultist. I mean, like, he just praises Octavia in this scene, trying to make amends. Like, I know that's what he's doing. But it's just infuriating. Yeah. It's just awful. And I hate it. And I'm done. I do hate it. Um, and I also have to ask again, is Octavia going to die this season? Um, because, like, Bob Mor- Morley has said that she gets even worse as this season progresses. And this has already been bad. So bad. I don't know how much further she's going to go. Um, Is there any saving her or is she really too far gone? Um, And I also wonder, you know, we've seen the comparison with her and Caesar. It's not subtle. Um, But is it possible then that that comparison also goes to her being killed by someone close to her? Um, Mm. So like Brutus kills Caesar. Right. Marcus Brutus, so to to speak. So um, is Cain going to be the one to kill Octavia? Is Marcus Cain? Oh. Or, or more likely to me, not necessarily likely, but more interesting to me is if Bellamy kind of has to put her down for the good of all of their people. Maybe. Um, not that I would want to see that, but I could see her having her guard down enough for Bellamy to do it because she, you know, he's like the one person that she thinks would never be able to do that to her. I think that makes a lot of sense. I just really wouldn't wish that on Bellamy no I don't I don't want Bellamy to have to go through that and that I think would destroy him yeah um in many many ways and I I don't know how this show would like handle yeah I don't want to watch it no I don't either but I could see the show going in that direction yeah the rover drives up and Maddie jumps out and runs into Clark's arms Monty gets out and waves tentatively to Octavia who waves back pleasantly surprised to see him Echo runs over to Bellamy and they kiss, something that Clark clearly notices, the Mm. shock. Octavia also notices the kiss, and as Echo and Bellamy look at her worriedly, Octavia stares at them with murder in her eyes. I'm a little bit disappointed with how 
little we've seen of Monty so far in this season. Like, I want him to have more active stuff to do. I just feel like he's kind of been on the back burner, and I'm ready for him to come into the foreground again. I agree, um, but I will say that I was really surprised and pleased to see Octavia's little reaction to seeing Monty. Um, He brought out a softness in her that we haven't seen in a long time. It's a softness akin to what Nyla brings out, which is why, like, I've compared Nyla and Monty before. Yeah. They're just such pure souls. Um, So I don't know. Maybe Monty will be the one to save her. Like, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. And I mean, let's get into it. I mean, I'm talking about Becco, if you couldn't (laughs) tell. It's obviously painful for me to watch the two of them together but this scene was in so much service of Velark that I'm coming around to it like I don't love watching them together it like hurts me in my stomach in my soul but like I can see where we're going so I can like bear it to get there you like kind of the opposite I know you do I know this scene was so weird to me because you know everything we've seen till this point doesn't really lead us to believe that Echo would just like be the type to like run and jump and kiss Bellamy you know um I, I just it seems way too dramatic for oh them. yeah it's so out of character their relationship seems very reserved and they don't really seem to show PDA um and plus would Echo really run blindly into this group of unknown soldiers it's a great point I, I really just don't think that this is her at all and 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 even when they kiss like they literally don't focus on Becco kissing at all they no, they're are blurry. out of focus and the focus is Clark's reaction to seeing Bellamy kissing her yeah um so it really does feel like their relationship is simply there to put into perspective Clark and Bellamy's relationship which is irritating to me because it feels like Echo deserves better than that. Bellamy deserves better than that. I, I don't like that the show is, you know, using this relationship as, like, a way to advance Bellark in any way, shape, or form. I agree. I think you're absolutely right. Wait, I'm not done yet. Oh. Because I just wanted to say, Clark gets relationships where we get to see them from start to finish and see how they affected her. But Bellamy only gets relationships when Clark isn't there. That is clearly saying something because, you know, when Clark is around, he is not interested in any other woman. Right. Right. But I don't like that they use this as a device just for Bellark. It's it's lazy storytelling for me. I agree completely. I think it's lazy. It's totally unfair to Echo, who deserves to be loved as deeply as Bellamy loves Clark. She deserves someone who looks at her like Bellamy looks at Clark. (laughs) It's true. I mean, he's just not capable of loving anyone else the way he loves Clark. I am uncomfortable with Bellamy and Echo, but that's just my own pure, purely like selfish motivations. I think like as an analyst and as somebody who's like looking at this from a literary perspective, I think you are a hundred percent right. And this is, this is unacceptable. I mean, they've only used Bellamy and Echo's relationship for shock value. Right. The first time being at the beginning or at the end of episode one, where we like surprise they're together. And then it was now. This is like the second time the right. relationship has been anything, you know? Right. Um, and it's the shock value for Clark seeing them together. So it's just like, what is the point of them being together? It's it's not to advance either of their characters. Right. It's just for Bellark. And honestly, like at this point, the burn has been so slow that like we don't we didn't need We don't need this. We don't need another hindrance getting there. I mean, I will say, all of that aside, I was very thrilled to see Clark seeming a little bit upset by Bellamy kissing Echo. Like, oh, yeah. A little bit. It was that, definitely shock, but... I mean, like, when I say that, like, I'm getting on board with this, like, it's only because, like, if if this... If the only good that can come out of this is Clark's jealousy, I I can live <laughs> with that. I, I can. Mean, 
I'm good with I would I would have been a little irritated if they hadn't shown Clark's reaction to it yeah. but I never expected again for them to be like this melodramatic about showing only Clark's reaction yeah to I it. mean it's it's, it's a lot um okay it was yeah. a good episode we have reached the end we have some things to talk about before we're done few discussion points yeah <laughs> favorite line what was your favorite line uh my favorite line was I thought you'd be funnier with Maddie talking <laughs> to Murphy uh first and foremost because I'm really into Maddie's and Murphy's like burgeoning relationship um also because it feels like fan fiction with the two of them together yes but I also just love that whole conversation of Clark um painting Murphy as the comedic relief um, and the fact that, you know, that's how Clark has always seen him is really delightful to me. Yeah, and I kind of like this, like, meta moment because Murphy is the comic relief of the, the show. show. Yeah. And so I like that Clark is, like, noting on that and they're, like, incorporating that into the stories that she tells. Because he is funny. He He's is hilarious. funny. <laughs> He's great. I mean, he is the comic relief. Yeah. That's the ironic thing. My favorite line was the line where Indra says to Octavia, I love you. Does that make me weak? I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. This was just so impactful for me. Indra is so guarded with her feelings and so precise with her words. It's just so rare to see her open up like this and be vulnerable. And it just demonstrates how worried she is about Octavia and the path that she's on. And I I loved it. Um, Do you want to talk about our favorite scenes? Yeah. uh, My favorite scene was what you just talked about. Actually, it was like the whole scene with first the cannibalism quote-unquote reveal and then Bellamy and Clark talking about how impressive it was that Clark survived alone and then Indra being like you know your love is weakness no it's not that kind of thing that that whole scene outside the campfire scene the campfire scene um I thought advanced the story in really interesting ways it brought out some great character moments um, I loved every second of it. Yeah. Even the cannibalism part. In fact, I love that the most. Yeah, I, I was going to say, what are you talking about? That was your favorite thing. I really thought that was going to be your favorite thing. Um, my favorite scene was the last scene between Dioza and Kane. I just think they are a really interesting pairing. And I loved getting the backstory from Dioza and the way that she uses that to kind of manipulate Kane and bring him over to her way of thinking when you know she was really disregarding him and his usefulness before and now she kind of has to like re take back her steps and and re restart over this relationship and i i thought their 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 pairing was interesting and i'm really excited to see how they work together moving forward they have really interesting chemistry they as, do as a pairing yeah they have great chemistry so yeah next episode yeah we are already at episode six seasons flying by can't believe it um the next episode is called exit wounds i'm a little curious about what this title is going to come to mean i definitely have a few ideas circling around but i can't really put it into words quite yet yeah um so i i, I think that there will be a lot of strife next episode but when is there not you know right uh we know that dioza will try to bribe one crew to come to her side and we know that octavia will kill anyone who tries to defect um, I'm also really excited to see more of Echo and Octavia interacting. Yeah. I think that that's going to be a really um, compelling part of this season is I'm, how those two kind of and their ideals conflict. I agree. And I'm also hoping that that's kind of like an anchoring way or a way to anchor Echo's like development outside de- of, yes, of Bellamy. Yes, I was going to say anchoring yeah. her in a way that like her showing her personal arc I read a really interesting um, 
piece from Tazia Telly's. I think I sent it to yeah, you. Yeah, I read it too. I'm trying to remember exactly what it said, but it was, she was basically just talking about Echo's arc this season and Echo kind of coming to terms with the things that she did to survive back when she used to be on the ground that she's not proud of. Yeah. And kind of her trying to find redemption in the way that she behaves now on the ground and also yeah. her trying to find where she fits in because she doesn't quite feel like she fits in with anybody. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, like this season, I'm loving Echo. I just, I'm really excited to see where she goes. Me too. And I want more for her and I want more from her. Yeah. Uh, until then, we have a week break before the next episode to obsess over cannibalism. So. Yes, yes. Lots of cannibalism thoughts. <laughs> And that's our episode. If you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. And you can tweet at us at Skycast. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So thanks for joining us as always on Skycast. We'll be back in two weeks once the next episode airs. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.